0: There are roughly 4,800 members of Unitarian Universalist churches in North Carolina. This means that in North Carolina, we have less than one-fifth as many weekly attenders as Elevation Church, Omega Church, which will see 25,000 people today in its multiple campuses. I know that pride is one of the seven deadly sins and all, but is it wrong to feel slightly well, proud, that we Unitarian Universalists, the teeniest blip on the religious radar that we are, the frequent butt of jokes on The Simpsons and Prairie Home Companion, (laughs) are often way ahead of the curve when it comes to some crucially important issues. While some mainstream denominations are still reeling in conflict about marriage equality, the Unitarian Universalist Association formally and unequivocally endorsed it in 1996. In the wake of the HB2 law that sought to discriminate against transgender people, while many other religions struggled and stayed silent, we protested, rallied, advocated for an end to that law. Being that our denomination called its first transgender minister in 2002, it was natural for us to stand up for the trans community. While our Catholic brothers still deny women the authority to lead, female ministers now serve more than half of UU congregations, and our denomination first just elected our first woman president. Back in 2011, popular Christian author and mega church founder Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. The shocking thesis. Eternal punishment may not be something that God chooses to do to us as human beings. Bell pointed to 1 Timothy and other biblical texts. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. He was condemned by many in the Christian community. Franklin Graham called him a false teacher, saying, Rob Bell slams the door in God's face. Theologian John Piper tweeted, Farewell, Rob Bell. Hell is unspeakably real, conscious, horrible, and eternal. Many critics insulted him with the worst word they can think of universalist. (laughs) I watched a number of videos this past week of poor Rob Bell in 2011 squirming and struggling to defend himself against being a universalist and I just wanted to say come on Rob Bell come to our party. You're a couple hundred years late but we'd love to have you. We are sitting in a Unitarian Universalist congregation. Several hundred years ago, our religious forebearers were having this very debate. Those who created this religious path for us were deemed heretics. Many were excommunicated from their churches simply for rejecting the notion that God would send his creatures to suffer permanently in the pits of hell. It's hard to describe what a radical departure this was from popular religion in the early 18th century, where the Unitarian, where the Universalist Church in the U.S. was founded. Jonathan Edwards, a charismatic colonial American in the 1730s, was one of the most popular preachers of the day. There was no need for ghost stories when you had Jonathan Edwards in the pulpit. He had a God story that was far more terrifying. So imagine coming to church and hearing the bellowing baritone preach a sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It should come with a trigger warning. He says, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, "'abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. "'You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes "'than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. "'Consider the fearful danger you're in. "'It is a great furnace of wrath "'that you are held over in the hand of that god.' And here's the key point. There's nothing you can do to keep off the flames of wrath. Nothing of your own, nothing you've ever done to induce God to spare you one moment. To recap, the message to humanity from Edwards and other Calvinist religionists, was you are bad. You are in danger. You are being judged all the time by an angry God. And by the way, there's nothing you can do to keep from being punished. It's no wonder that some people rejected this message. John Murray was most responsible for the rise of universalism in the United States. Born in 1741 to a wealthy family in England, John was raised by a domineering Calvinist father. Beaten and isolated by his dad because his father thought that best for his soul, Murray said in his autobiography, I believed that I had nothing to hope, but everything to fear, both from my Creator and my Father, and these soul-appalling considerations, by forcing a conclusion that I was but making provision for alternate torture. This threw a cloud over innocent enjoyment. As an adult, John Murray consulted Scripture and his own religious experience of God. When he heard George de Beneville preach a universalist message in England, that all would be saved. Murray was liberated, and he wanted to convince the world of the goodness of God. Murray spread the universalist gospel of love up and down the coast of the United States. With great passion, he and other universalist (laughs) preachers promised, God is not cruel. God loves you. God wants redemption and grace for all of his creatures to be restored to him. Gertrude Ann Sneller said the mission of the Universalist Church was to free the minds of the people from the cruel prisons of dread and fear and to help them understand that God and life are far kinder than they supposed. Our faith has evolved greatly over the years. After a period of popularity, universalism dwindled. When many mainstream ministers began to downplay hell in their services, universalism wasn't as unique. The denomination joined with Unitarianism in 1961 to form what we now know as the UUA. And over the years, universalism became just one of many sources of our living tradition that include other world religions, humanism, science, and earth-based practices, and, crucially important, our own experiences of transcending mystery and wonder. Yet, with the beautiful expansiveness of our sources of wisdom that we honor, I think it's important that we not lose track of the radical heart of the message that our universalist ancestors offered a message that I think is especially relevant in these strange days in which we live. The guiding message of the Calvinists is still being promoted in different language, in different forms, by fundamentalists of all ilks. This argument hinges on separateness. Some are saved and some are damned. Some are loved and some are hated. Some belong and some don't belong. Some are worthy and some are beyond redemption. The universalist message is just the opposite. Our religious inheritance teaches us we are all in this together. We are all worthy We are all loved. We are all wanted beyond measure. I think we get this rationally. I don't think any of us would be sitting here today, even as visitors, if we hadn't rid ourselves rationally of the notion of an angry God, a vengeful God, set out to punish us and hang us over the pits of hell like a spider. Those of us who pray to God and trust in God and can sing, come by here, my Lord, without wincing, we have come to accept a very different conception of God than the wrathful male deity who would dangle us sadistically over that pit of hell. Yet, I wonder if, in ways that we can't even identify, if that notion of, of that punishing God Is deeper in us than we know if it affects our sense of ourselves and our way in the world. (coughs) Researchers, in a very unfortunate experiment for the mice, taught mice to be afraid of the smell of cherry blossoms. They would give them an electric shock whenever they smelled cherry blossoms. And the amazing thing is that the offspring of the mice who hadn't had that direct experience with the cherry blossoms were afraid of the smell, even though they hadn't experienced it. And their offspring were afraid of the smell, even though they hadn't experienced it. The fear was inherited by future generations. So while many of us may not have had a direct experience with fear-based religion, Or maybe have moved on from it. Maybe these threats of a promised hell still burn within us somehow. How many of us continue to live with this deep down, inexplicable sense you are bad, you are in danger, you are being judged, and nothing you can do can keep you from being punished. Universalism asks us to speak back to that unworthiness, to learn to trust in love, to trust deeply in our own loving hearts, in our own goodness. This is the work of a lifetime. Universalism also asks us to trust that love extends to all. That every other human being is loved and worthy too. Every other human being. So hard. <laughs> so hard. That's why we talk about spiritual practice, because none of us are there yet. As universalist historian Charles Howe used to say, no hopeless cases. Nate Walker told the story of how he found Unitarian Universalism. He was 15 years old, living in rural Nevada, with friends who were into the rodeo and their gun racks, when Nate's dad found a love letter to Nate's boyfriend. His grandma responded by taking his hand, saying, I hear there's a lesbian at the Unitarian Church. So they went off to meet the lesbian. The fellowship was in a little trailer, and there were only about a dozen people. He said they they sang some songs, and they talked around a chalice. He said it was all so simple. Nate says, I look back on those simple exchanges, and wonder if this small group of people knew they were planting seeds in a drought-stricken land. Little did they know what they would reap and how the act of planting that fellowship saved my life, literally. The now Reverend Nate Walker, Unitarian Universalist minister, continues. In my nightstand laid a knife a note, and a calendar. I was counting down the days with the intent to take my own life. Unbeknownst to my grandmother, there were only two days left on that calendar before that fateful Sunday. He says, A small group gathered and provided me an oasis in a desert of despair. I was hungry for belonging, and they fed me hospitality. Hospitality. I was thirsty for self-worth, and they fed me acceptance. I was a stranger, and they welcomed me. He was saved. If you have arrived here from a religious tradition where you were made to feel afraid or judged for who you were, we are glad that you are here. We are a quirky and seriously imperfect crew, but we here believe that you are inherently worthy by simply being who you are. And if you've been here a long time and still struggle with feeling adequate, we're glad you're here too for one more Sunday as we practice together the humble but oh-so-important work of learning to give, and receive love to each other and to ourselves. Now, Unitarian Universalists are less interested as a group in notions of the afterlife than our Universalist religious ancestors. We're more interested in doing the work right here rather than flying away. The president of my seminary, Unitarian Universalist minister, Reverend Rebecca Parker, said, while remaining open to the mysteries that may be revealed beyond the grave or in realms beyond what we know at present, Unitarian Universalism is clear that the ultimate is present, here, and now, and can be grasped and experienced within this limited frame of our mortal existence. She says, we don't mean this means we don't hold on to a hope that is only attained in the sweet by and by. We hold that this world, this life, these bodies are the dwelling place of the sacred. When we love ourselves and we love our neighbors well, we are creating salvation right here on this very earth. And each of us is saved. Amen.